everyone from around the world and welcome to our continuing series of talks today. Mary, the gift of God's mercy. As you can see, our blessed mother is our guiding help and a gift of the mercy of God. So hello and thanks for joining us. I'm Father Chris Alar of the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And we're coming to you live, which is in one sense a real difficulty because I don't like talking to an empty church. It's very difficult, but I just keep in mind that we've got viewers all over the world. So hopefully there's a few of you today tuning in. I know with the church is opening, that's great. And the weather being better now, people are going outside. So if we can at least get a dozen or so of you listening today, we, uh, we've done something, right? So today, uh, as Brother Mark will show you on the screen, is a continuing talk of our series called explaining the faith. And I've done some talks already on a walkthrough of the mass, why the Catholic faith has the trueness of the faith. I did one on confession. And this is a continuing talk on this series that you can get this DVD on shopmercy.org. Or if you want to stream it on the divine mercy org slash explaining the faith. Now, it's not exactly the same. I'm going to give you kind of an overview. And today's topic is our blessed mother. And I tell you what, you need to be able to know these things because we're challenged all the time. Where's Mary in the Bible? And, and we're not supposed to honor anybody other than Jesus. And we're going to talk about that today. So stay with us as we walk through this important concept and this most important gift of God's mercy. And so again, part of the Explaining the Faith series. Now, as you probably know, uh, Mary being a gift of God's mercy is misunderstood. And that's why we're here today to talk to you and hopefully clarify so you can understand the role of our Blessed Mother better and love her even more because you can never love her more than Jesus did, right? All right, now, since Mary is the mother of Jesus, right, She's also the mother of the church. Why? Because Jesus's body is the church. So if Jesus, or excuse me, if Mary's the mother of Jesus and Jesus is the body of the church, she's also the mother of the church. And guess what? Monday, the day after Pentecost, we're celebrating the feast, Mary, the mother of the church. Now this is important. And since we make up the church, she's the mother of us also. Because we are the church. We represent John, or John represented us, I should say, at the cross when Jesus gave Mary to John as a gift to us as well. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Now, I said last week, there's no salvation outside of Jesus, and Jesus's body is the church. And since we need Jesus for salvation and his body is the church, we also need the church for salvation. That was the message last week. If you want to hear, learn more about it, you can tune in. We still have those up on YouTube. Now, to be a full member, though, of the church, we need the church's mother. And that's who we said is Mary. Jesus gave us the church and the mother of the church, to get us to heaven. This is important. Basically, the church teaches us to Jesus, 
through Mary. Not to Mary instead of Jesus, as we're accused, none of that stuff. It's to Jesus through Mary and the church, because she's the mother. So this is what's going on here. Now look at your screen. You see a foot crushing a serpent. Now, depending on which translation of the Bible you read, if you want to go all the way back to the Dewey Reams, there's all kinds of translations about the gender neuter pronoun and he will crush your head. But in some versions like the Dewey Reams, it says she will crush the head of the serpent. <clears throat> now, in Bible, people say, well, where's Mary in the Bible? Well, actually, God honored Mary above all creatures. And we know by the way Jesus did as well at Cana. So if God honored Mary above all creatures, so should we. I always uh, tell my seventh grade catechism, hey, guys, come on. If you could create your own mother, wouldn't you make her perfect and I had one student say, no, because then she'd make me do all my homework and all my chores, right? Well, that's the point. She helps us do what we need to do for our own good. All right, now, we don't worship Mary. This is a huge misconception. You Catholics worship Mary. No, no, we don't. Mary is the guide. Jesus is the goal. You know, nobody ever claimed climbed Mount Everest without a guide. It's, it just, you don't do it. The goal is to get to the top. Our goal is to get to heaven, to get to Jesus. But Mary is the guide to make that happen. Mary is the guide that will get us there. And so she had plays a very important role. Now, I always like to say to my, also back to my seventh graders, when I teach them, who does Satan fear more? God or Mary? And the answer may surprise you. Yeah, we would want to thank God, but you know what? Satan in his own way is not unintelligent. He knows God created him. He knows God is all powerful. And he knows that God is really God. And he didn't really have a problem with that. What Satan had a problem with, because remember, Lucifer was the, one of the highest angels. What he had a problem with is when God announced that he was going to become a man. And in order to do that, to give a mother that was perfect. So all of a sudden, the angels who were always above man, remember the angels are created above mankind by nature. So who's higher, the angel or a man? Who's higher? Well, by nature, angels are created above mankind. Now they have, they don't get sick. They don't get the coronavirus. They have greater intellects than us. They're not constrained by space and time. So by nature, they're created above man. But when God became incarnate, when he became a man and he created the mother to put his son to this earth, all of a sudden now man by grace has been elevated above the angel. That was Satan's problem. So who does Satan fear more, Mary or God? Well, look at your screen. I used to be a wrestler. You can tell I am not a basketball player. I am a wrestler. There's a picture of uh, high school wrestling and, and um, I've wrestled since I was in third grade. I enjoyed it. Um, but I, I always use this example because I had a pretty tough coach 
in school. And my father also was involved in my wrestling. And, um, you know, back in my senior year, uh, a Japanese national wrestling team came to the United States. And I was one of the American wrestlers to wrestle against the Japanese national team and the Japanese national uh, champion wrestler that I drew was 156 and zero. That was his record. And I, I had to wrestle him. Now I'd love to sit here and tell you I won, but nah, I didn't. I lost, but it was a really close match. Surprisingly, I only lost four to two and I actually could have won that match. I always think about that because if I would have been a little bit different in my approach, I think I was a little too defensive, I could have won that match. And afterwards, both my father and my coach, who never said this about a loss, said, good job. You lost to the best. You, you know, this was the Japanese national champion. He's the best. It's not unsurprising that you lost, but you did a good job. You really did a good job. But I think back to the times when I was a wrestler in grade school and my big fear was wrestling a girl because what would happen if you had to wrestle a girl and you lost? That would be humiliating, right? Now, no offense, ladies. I don't mean that to be any way offensive, but to a grade school boy, to lose to a girl would have been humiliating. That's because of why. Why would that be humiliating? Because of pride. Pride. This is what would be humiliating. And so here I lose to a, a Japanese national champion. Good job. But to lose to a little girl, you know, if, if you're a wrestler and you're a supposedly boy, you know, um, all-American boy, no, that's humiliating. Why? Because of pride. And so Satan can halfway understand losing to God. He's God. He's like the national champion. But to lose to a 15-year-old Jewish girl is more than his pride could handle. This was the problem that Satan has when Mary comes around. If he's attacking you and you call her in and she comes to your aid, he flees because he doesn't want to stick around and get whooped up on. He doesn't want to stick around and get beat up by a 15-year-old little girl. So what does he do? He runs. And this is why he fears Mary more than God fascinating concept, right? You know, when I was in North Carolina, I was um, uh, preparing for the priesthood. And I, back in those days, I used to go to a barber to cut my hair. Now you can see my hair. I cut it myself. So I don't know if it's lopsided or not, because I want to save $15 a month because we only get $50 a month allowance uh, spending money. So I learned to cut my own hair so I get to save $15 a month. Well, back then I used to go to the barber shop and I went to the barber and there was a, an awesome um, Baptist barber named Billy who used to cut my hair and he would follow me from time to time asking about what, you know, my plans were. And I shared with them that I was discerning the priesthood and I never forget it was my last haircut I ever got in my life uh, 15 years ago. And I walk into the barber shop, and I'm sitting there in the chair, and there's seven other chairs in the barber shop. And there's an old grizzly guy in the chair next to me. And Billy, my barber, happens to say to me, So, are you really going to go through with this? 
are you really going to become a Catholic priest? And I said, well, God willing, if that's his will, I think so. And there's this old grizzly guy in the chair next to me and he overhears and he goes, huh, you're going to spend your whole life in some monastery praying a bunch of Hail Marys. Now look at your next screen. In your next screen or the next slide, what do we see? We see the Hail Mary. Now, what I said to this guy was, sir, you must be a Bible-loving evangelical Christian because that Hail Mary you're just talking about, it is in the Bible. You see that? Hail Mary, full of grace. Let's talk about this. And I said, sir, what? tell me what the Gospel of Luke, first chapter of Luke, especially... Uh, talks about. And he says, about the birth of Jesus. And I said, yeah, but it's, there's more there. Let's look at this. First, the angel came. And what did the angel say to Mary? Hail, full of grace. Basically, he's coming to Mary saying, hail, full of grace, which connects to the Immaculate Conception. We'll get to that in a minute. The Lord is with you. Then in the Bible, it says Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. And what's the scripture say of Elizabeth's words? Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This is how powerful. These are words right out of the Bible. Elizabeth calls her blessed when she says, Holy Mary. That's, or that's basically saying Holy Mary. She says, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Holy Mary. That's basically calling her blessed. Mother of God. Where does that come from? Oh, how dare you call Mary the mother of God? Well, Elizabeth did. How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And so I'm in the chair explaining to this guy. So she says, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? It's the same thing that David said in the Ark of the Covenant when he also went up into the hillside of Judea. Remember on the visitation, which by the way is normally May 31st, which we're now celebrating um, uh, the Mary, the mother of church on Monday instead. But it makes it very clear in the visitation in scripture that Mary went up to the hillside of Judea. Now, what's interesting is so did David. David in 2 Samuel went up to the hillside of Judea. And he also said, how can the ark of my Lord come to me? This is basically talking about the Ark of the Old Covenant. Now, who's Mary? Mary's the Ark of the New Covenant. What's the connection? David in the Ark of the Old Covenant housed, entombed the old law. Now with Mary, the new Ark of the Covenant in her womb, she houses the new law, the living law, the word of God come to life. She's the Ark of the New Covenant. This is very powerful. This is why Elizabeth refers to, refers to Mary as the new ark. And Mary says, all generations will call me blessed. So I said to this old guy in the barber chair, sir, Mary says right in the Bible, all generations will call her blessed. Why can't you? You see, sir, in the Davidic kingdom from which Jesus comes, who was the queen? Well, the wife of the king. That's what we usually think of a queen. Not in the Davidic kingdom. Who was the queen? Was it, was, you know, the kings had many wives. Kings had hundreds of wives. Solomon had so many wives, I don't know how he even knew them all. 
So who was the queen? Was it the first wife, prettiest wife, smartest wife, nicest wife, favorite wife? Who was the queen? There was only one queen, the mother. That's who the queen was. And so Jesus comes in the Davidic kingdom. Why would that change? This is first Kings in the Old Testament. Now, this whole thing about, let's go back to the Ark of the Covenant. You know, when I went to the Holy Land, Stephen Ray, a good friend of mine, took us up to the hillside of Judea. And he says the archaeological evidence and biblical scholars almost all agree that the place where Mary went to visit Elizabeth as the new Ark of the Covenant was the exact same place that Jesus, excuse me, that David took the old Ark of the Covenant. And to me, what's really powerful, what, and I said this to the old guy in the chair, I said, sir, tell me in the Bible what it says when Mary went to Elizabeth, what does it say caused John, remember John the Baptist is in the womb of Elizabeth, to leap in the womb? And he says, the presence of Jesus. And I said, well, yeah, it all bases around that. But what does the Bible specifically say that caused John the Baptist to leap in the womb? Said the presence of Jesus. I said, yes, but there's something in the Bible. So I said, Billy, I saw a Bible up on his shelf. I said, Billy, hand me that Bible. Now, as Bible, as Billy hands it to me, and I'm flipping through it. I'm praying, Lord, please don't let this be some Protestant edition that changed it or took it out. And I flipped and there it was. At the sound of Mary's voice, the child leapt in her womb. Now Scott Hahn points out, David did the same thing before the Ark of the Old Covenant because what is said that the child leapt in the womb, meaning John the Baptist before Mary, the new Ark of the Covenant, the word for leapt in Hebrew is the same for danced. And in the Bible, it says David danced before the Ark of the Covenant. So you've got David dancing before the old Ark of the Covenant. You got John the Baptist leaping or dancing before the Ark of the New Covenant, our mother Mary. This is incredible. The connection, oh, Mary's not in the Bible. Mary's all over the Bible. And so this is what we have to understand when we're confronted about this. All right, now, take a look at your next screen. Because I want to start talking about what we call the four Marian dogmas. And the very first one is on your screen. Now I'm going to ask you to do a little quiz. What are the four Marian dogmas? All right. The first one's right on your screen. Mary, the mother of God. The next dogma is the perpetual virginity of Mary, which many people question. The next is the assumption of Mary, and the fourth is the Immaculate Conception of Mary. Now, do we have to believe those things? Absolutely. They're dogmatic. They're the four Marian dogmas, and I'm going to prove to you right now that all four of them are true. Look at your screen. Brother Mark's going to put back up Mary holding the child Jesus. This is Mary, the mother of God. How dare you call Mary the mother of God? Well, I just told you Elizabeth did in the Bible. Is the Bible going to print it if that's improper? No. But let's talk about this. You know, all Protestant fathers accepted calling Mary the mother of God. Martin Luther, Zwingli, 
uh, John Calvin, they all referred to Mary as the mother of God. Somewhere in the Protestant Reformation, the intent was never to throw Mary in the gutter. This happened after the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. It was not the intent. And so Jesus is very important. He came to earth and he had a vessel, which is Mother Mary. Now, this is going to be the hardest theology I give you probably in the entire series. I've been talking for several weeks now, and I want to talk for several more weeks till we complete this series. And I'm about to give you probably the deepest theology in the entire series in the next three minutes right now. So try to hang with me. Don't turn me off until we get through it because it's not that bad, but it might be a little deep. All right. Was Jesus Christ a human person? And all of you are going to say, well, of course. The answer is no. No, he wasn't. And everybody's going to say, call the bishop. We have a heretical priest at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. <laughs> no, we don't. I'm strictly quoting, and I give you a quote from the catechism. Why? Okay. We have one God or three gods? We have one God. But how many persons? We have three persons in the Trinity. God the Father is how many persons? One. God the Son is how many persons? One. And God the Holy Spirit is how many persons? One. There are three persons in the Trinity. If Jesus was two persons... There'd be four persons in the Trinity. There's not four persons in the Trinity. There is three. What this means is Jesus Christ is a divine person from the beginning of all eternity, for all eternity, not even a beginning, for all eternity. Jesus Christ is one person. Now, in that one person, he had a divine nature. So Jesus, excuse me, the second person of the Trinity is a divine person who had a divine nature. I am a human person. I have a human nature. My humanness, what makes me human, what makes me, you know, think rationally, well, at least some of the time, what makes me have emotions, what makes me <clears throat> laugh, what makes me cry. These are what is your humanness. I'm a human person. I'm one person and I have a human nature. The second person of the Trinity for all eternity was one person with one nature. That one person was a divine person, and that nature is a divine nature. Now, at the incarnation, that one divine person, the second person of the Trinity, who already had a divine nature, came to earth and assumed a human nature. So you see, that one person, that divine person, the second person of the Trinity who had a divine nature, came to earth and assumed a human nature. Don't believe me? Look in the catechism. I'm not being heretical. The catechism defines Jesus Christ as one person, two natures. Jesus Christ is one person, the divine person, second person of the Trinity, who had a divine nature and now assumed a human nature. So I kind of tricked you. He is fully God in his nature. 
and he is fully human in his nature. So he has two natures. His nature is human and his nature is divine, but he's one person. And that person is divine. That's the second person of the Trinity, always has been divine, always will be divine. He had a divine nature to go with it, and when he became man at the incarnation, he assumed a human nature. So he's one person, two natures. That's Jesus Christ is defined in the catechism. And so when Mary gave birth, does a mother give birth to a person or a nature? A mother gives birth to a person. So when Mary gave birth, she gave birth to a person. So who is Jesus Christ? I just told you one person, two natures, and that person is divine. And Mary gave birth to the divine person with two natures. She gave him his human nature. He already had a divine nature. So Mary gave birth to the divine person, and that makes her the mother of God. You see, it's more than just saying Mary gave birth to Jesus and Jesus was God and therefore mother, Mary's the mother of God. It goes deeper than that. We go into real theology here. I know this is confusing. I know this is hard, but I explain it much better on the DVD. So I'll tell you at the end how to get the DVD and you can get the DVD and, and trust me, I explain it way better there. So we want to keep going. Now, Mary gave birth to one person. We said this person was divine. Was divine. Now, Pius, I think it was Pius IX, said to, to deny Mary as the mother of God is to deny the incarnation. Either Jesus is not God or Jesus is two persons. And that is the Nestorian heresy. Jesus is one person and that person is divine. He's human and divine in his nature. He's got two natures. And so this is very, very important. So Jesus is not two persons. He is one person, two natures. That one person is divine. Mary gives birth to a person. That person is divine. Therefore, we call Mary the mother of God. You got all that? Praise be to God if you do. If not, as I said, Get the DVD. I'll help you explain it a little better. All right. Brother Mark's going to flip to the next slide now. What's the next slide up there? We see a little Mary walking up the steps, right, of the temple. What dogmatic or what Marian dogma is this? This is perpetual virginity. Mary offering being offered at a very early age in her chastity to remain chaste and a virgin her whole life. The scholars all say that this was done by Mary and her family, that this was known that she had consecrated herself like this. Now, this also was accepted by the Protestant fathers, that Mary was to remain a virgin. Zwingli, listen to this. This is quoting the Protestant father. Zwingli, I firmly believe that Mary remained a virgin, pure and intact, in childbirth and also after birth for all eternity. This is the father of the Protestant Reformation quoting, saying, I believe Mary was a virgin for all eternity. And now today, all non-Catholics say this is crazy. She wasn't a virgin. Really? Well, your Protestant father said she was. Now, remember the word. People say, well, father, 
It says in the Bible that Mary had brothers and sisters, or uh, Jesus had brothers and sisters, which must mean that Mary had other children. <sighs> you gotta know the original language. The Bible wasn't written in English. The Bible was written in Greek. And Jesus spoke Aramaic, right? And the time was Hebrew and Aramaic. And the Bible was written in Greek. It wasn't English. And the word that we use for English for brothers and sisters means biological, but not necessarily. Brother Mark is up in the choir loft running the slides here. Brothers. I call my brothers. I call, you know, Brother Alex or, or Brother Jason or Brother Mark. Are they my blood brother? No. It's the same concept. All right. The word used in the Greek is adelphos which doesn't mean for brother or sister biological. It doesn't have to mean that it can. What it really can mean is also a close relative. There's nothing against church teaching that, that um, uh, Joseph may have been married and widowed prior to Mary and may have had other children. We don't know. It's not against church teaching. Jesus could have had stepbrothers and sisters, could have been close relatives, cousins. We know Mary, uh, Elizabeth, right? John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin which the word in Hebrew could have meant brother. All right, now, in, in the Hebrew, it is ah, which also means brother as a cousin or close relative. And so brothers has a different meaning in the biblical language than we use it, right? You know, Jesus could not have had biological brothers because then he could have never given Mary to John on the cross. He would have had to have given um, Mary to a biological brother. If Jesus had any other brothers, Jesus would have had to given Mary to his biological brother. That was the way Judeo uh, law worked. And so when Jesus gave John, Mary to John on the cross, there's no way he had brothers because John, we know in scripture, was not Jesus's brother. We know this. He was the sons of Zebedee. So we, we, there was, there was no, no, no way. And so we have to understand the importance here. I, I'll tell another example. I was once uh, giving a men's retreat in Nashville, uh, Tennessee, you know, the home of country music. And, you know, sometimes you forget where you're at. And I'm doing a talk there in Nashville and country music capital. Well, anyway, I was trying to explain this concept. And I said, um, let me give you an example to the guys I was speaking to. I said, in the Old Testament, who was Abraham in relation to Lot? Because, you know, Lot is related to Abraham. And everybody says his nephew. And I said, yeah. If you're reading Genesis 11:27, it says Lot was Abraham's nephew. But if you're reading Genesis 14:14, 14, 14, it says Lot was his brother. So I said, how could you be both your brother and your nephew? I said, now there's got to be some country song that could explain that. And then everybody started laughing. I was like, oh, no, I forgot where I'm at. I'm in the music, country music capital. But they all laughed. They got the point. The point is, you're not both your brother and your nephew, but the word brother is used and the word nephew is used. That's just the way it is. All right. Now, it also says in the Bible, non-Catholics will try to pin us down. And it says, 
Right there in the Bible, it says, the brothers of Jesus, James and Joseph, the sons of Mary. Wow, when you read that, if you don't know your Catholic faith, that sounds like it's going to nail you to the wall. If you seriously read in the Bible that the brothers of Jesus, James and Joseph, the sons of Mary, how do you defend that? Well, you say to those people, you got to keep reading. Because later in the Bible, it identifies that Mary as the wife of Clopas, not our Mary. So we know our Mary was not married to Clopas. The other Mary was, and that's who the mother of James and John, uh, Joseph was. And so we have to understand how it's used in scripture, right? All right, Brother Mark's going to flip the next screen now, where it looks like Mary laying dead, right? This is the preparation for the body of Mary in the Assumption. This is the third Marian dogma called the Assumption. Well, actually, it was the last one declared, but the third one I'm covering. Now, how do we know Mary's body was assumed into heaven as the Catholic Church teaches? Does it say so in the Bible? Well, the Bible doesn't have to necessarily say something specifically for to mean it, it only it happened. I mean, there are things that aren't in the Bible that we know happened for fact, you know. So why, um, why do we have to not believe that God can use other means to teach and show us, yes, he can. Now, I don't have time right now to explain all the reasons that Mary was assumed body and soul in heaven. Now, did Mary die? That one in the East called the Dormition or in the West, many scholars think that Mary did and that her body was assumed into heaven, but some believe that she didn't, that she was assumed um, while still living. And it, 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 it's up to you, really, if you believe she died or not. That's not the issue. The issue is you must believe her body was assumed into heaven. Different than the ascension. The ascension of Christ, he ascended to heaven on his own power. The ascension. But this is the assumption, which means God assumed Mary, body and soul into heaven. Now, how do I think and how do I believe that Mary was assumed into heaven? I go to a real practical example. I'm an engineer, so I'll give you a real practical answer. My, for me, the real practical answer is, have you ever seen a first-class relic of the bones of Mary? You know, if there were, uh, by, the, by the time Mary died, decades after Jesus did, it was pretty much well known through all of the known world who Jesus was and who his mother was. If Mary would have died and the bones were left behind, they would have been the hottest commodity of first-century Christianity who were already collecting the relics of the saints. You don't think that they would have collected the relics of Mary if she left her bones behind? You better believe they would have. But yet no city has ever claimed the relics of Mary. Let me tell you, if there were relics of Mary, the first, first class relics, the bones, you better believe Jerusalem, Nazareth, Bethlehem, Ephesus, all the cities she was in would have grabbed those relics and they would have created the first tourist attraction. Come to Bethlehem, come to Ephesus and see the relics of the mother of Jesus. No city has ever claimed the relics of Mary. Why? They don't exist. Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven. Another Marian dogma. All right, let's finish with the last Marian dogma you'll see on your screen, the Immaculate Conception of Mary. This one also 
Again, the Protestant fathers accepted this doctrine. They believed it. Now, Mary, let's, let's, let's ask this. I told you a second ago that who gave Jesus his human nature? Mary did. Now, where did Mary, where did Jesus get his human nature from? Mary. Now, did Jesus have a perfect human nature or broken like us? We all know we have a broken human nature, right? You betcha. Since the fall of Adam and Eve, our human nature is broken. We're inclined to sin. We're inclined to selfishness, laziness, um, gluttony, lust, whatever it is. We're inclined to the sin. However, however, Jesus had no broken human nature. He had a perfect human nature. And who gave it to him? Mary. Now, the point is, if Jesus was given a perfect human nature, that must mean Mary had an unbroken human nature because Mary could not have passed on a broken human nature to Jesus. So she must have had an unbroken human nature. And where did that first line of unbroken human nature begin? At the immaculate conception. Because if you are not immaculately conceived, you're conceived with a broken human nature. And I have a broken human nature. You have a broken human nature. We all have a broken human nature. But we didn't give our human nature to Jesus. Mary did. And so Mary had an unbroken human nature to give to our Lord. And this is important, right? So she couldn't pass on this broken human nature. And then another reason to look at this is Mary, or excuse me, Jesus being God, the God man, can't coexist with sin. And if he's inside the womb of Mary, he cannot coexist if that soul had any sin. She shared the DNA. The same blood of Mary ran through Jesus. Her DNA is in Christ. If she had any sin, there's no way God could coexist in that womb, in her womb, in her vessel. There is no way. God cannot coexist with any sin. Her DNA and blood is in Jesus. And people, non-Catholics say, well, then you're saying Mary didn't need a savior because she had no sin. Well, no, she needed a savior to be wiped clean of that original sin in the first place. Why would a non-Catholic even begin? And we don't know how to defend ourselves. We don't know how to answer that. Non-Catholics say all the time, if you say Mary was without sin, you say she didn't need a savior and all mankind needed a savior. Yes, that's true. But the savior cleansed her from the original sin. That took a savior. You know, if you believe and Protestant pastors believe that people can be washed clean of sin after they sin, why can't they be cleansed and prevented from sin in the first place? It takes a lot harder for a mom to wash a, a shirt of her son after he rolls out in the gutter and tries to get the stain out than it is if she put it in the drawer and preserved it from ever getting dirty in the first place. Both take the act of something above the child. And in, 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 in God, in his act, prevented Mary, he placed her in the drawer and prevented her from being stained in the first place. Both require a savior, whether or not we're broken in sin and then God forgives us, which he does as our savior, or whether or not is God the savior, he prevented her from getting stained in the first place. Both require a savior. This is very important. God preserved her from sin before conception. He cleanses us after conception.
If God can cleanse us from sin after conception, why do we not believe that he can prevent Mary from having sin before conception? He's God. He can do that. Now, why is she co-redeemer? That scares a lot of people away. Father, well, you can't say that. What are you crazy? What are you talking about? Yes, we can call Mary the co-redeemer because co doesn't mean equal to. In Latin, cum, C-U-M, cum or co-redeemer means with, means she acted with Jesus in the redemption of mankind. She's co-redeemer not because she's equal to Jesus. She's co-redeemer because she gave him his flesh and body by which to redeem the world. Do you know John Paul II called you and me co-redeemers? Yeah. Are we equal to God? No, but we share when we offer up our sufferings. Remember the Bible passage? I must complete what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Paul said, what could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Your sufferings, my sufferings. And so we offer it up. And John Paul II says, when we offer up our sufferings, we help share in the cross of Christ and we can help grant souls salvation. That grace doesn't come from us, it comes from God. But we can imitate Christ and help bring souls to salvation. We're many co-redeemers. Oh, Father, that's heretical. Well, then tell Paul he's heretical when he wrote in the scriptures that I'm a co-worker with God in the garden. Does that mean he's equal to God? He called himself a co-worker. No, God's the only laborer really truly in the vineyard. His work did it all, not ours. Well, he's a co-worker. Well, no, he's not. Well, he called himself a co-worker. So, so you see, my goodness, this is in, uh, intensely simple, but yet so hard to grasp. And it shouldn't be. This is why I'm here to teach you today. All right, let's keep going. Now, as Paul says, co-workers in the garden, Mary has a special role as co-redeemer, co-mediatrix. All right, what about co-mediatrix? Now, that means that she is co-mediatrix of grace, meaning she helps distribute grace. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus said to the apostles, I give you the authority to forgive sins. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven. Doesn't mean the grace came from them. It means Jesus had the authority and delegated it to them, just like he did to Mary. Remember, Jesus is the head. Mary's the neck. We are the body. And all graces come through from the head, through the neck to us. That's all we mean when we say Mary is co-mediatrix. Um, it scares people. Mary participated in a unique way in the reception of grace by the world. It is only fitting that we participate, that she participate, I should say, in a unique way of distributing graces throughout the world. Wow. All right, let's get to one of my favorite parts. You see the next slide, Adam and Eve. I had to find the cartoon version because every other version um, was without the clothes. So your kids can watch this, ish, this episode here because I got the cartoon version. All right, so you see Mary, uh, or excuse me, Adam and Eve there. Now, I want to tell you real quick about what is the most common title that the church fathers gave to Mary? And I kind of just gave it away by the slide you see on your screen because it's Adam and Eve. Okay, we call Mary the new Eve. Jesus is the new Adam. Mary is the new Eve. This is what the Protestant, or excuse me, the church fathers called her more than anything else. Let's look at this. Why is Mary the new Eve? All right, let's look at our original Eve, the one in the garden. Let's look at this. I'm going to steal from Tertullian and Justin Martyr here. These are not my words. I'm stealing them from Tertullian and Justin Martyr. 
Now, what he said was Eve, all right, this is Justin Martyr. Eve was a virgin and undefiled, but because she was disobedient, she conceived the false word of the serpent and gave birth to suffering and death in the world. Now, Mary was also a virgin and undefiled, but because she was obedient, she conceived the true word and she gave birth to the God-man who brought salvation into the world, not suffering and death. So the same sex, the female, that conceived and brought death into the world had to be the same sex that would conceive and bring life into the world. And that's what Mary did when she brought in the God-man and restore life into the world. This is Tertullian. Now listen to this. This, to me, is powerful. If you're going to listen to nothing else today, listen to this. Tertullian said, did Satan overthrow the man or the woman? Who did Satan overthrow? Adam or Eve? Every time I ask that question, <clears throat> the men say Eve and the women say Adam. <laughs> so all the women say God, uh, Satan overthrew the man and all the men say Satan overthrew the woman. Well, Justin, or excuse me, Tertullian makes this clear. Satan overthrew both the man and the woman. Satan didn't overthrow just the man. Satan didn't overthrow just the woman. Satan overthrew the man and the woman. So Tertullian says, since Satan overthrew both sexes, a man and a woman, woman, it's going to take both sexes to liberate humanity back from Satan. It's going to take a man and a woman to get back what Satan overthrew from a man and a woman. That new man is Jesus Christ, the new Adam, and that woman is Mary, the new Eve. Not equal, but with. There was a promise in the garden when the fall happened in Genesis of a promise of a savior and the gift of a mother. Genesis tells us this. God knew we were going to be skittish little creatures, afraid we were going to run from him. And, and, and you know, it's funny because I tell the story when my father and I used to go fishing when I was young. We used to go fishing in the River Raisin in Monroe, Michigan. We used to drive down from Holly at the time. And I remember when we first moved to Monroe, we actually moved onto this river and it was great bass fishing. And uh, my dad had this uh, special fishing rod that he would use and it seemed like he caught all the big fish and I would look over and I would see every time he'd, I'd watch the end of his rod, it seemed like it would bow over with another big bass. And I thought there was something magical about that rod. And one day when he was away and my dad used to say, you can use any other fishing rod. We have tons of them, but you can't use that rod. Sure enough, because I thought that rod had something magical. I disobeyed, right? My buddies come over to go fishing. I give them two regular rods and I grab that rod and I'm so excited. I get ready to go and I put the rod over my shoulder. I go running up the stairs to, to go fishing and I slam the door behind me, crunch, snap went the fishing rod. 
And sure enough, what did I do? Just like Adam and Eve, I tried to hide it. I wrapped a piece of tape around the end of the rod, tried to put it together. Well, all of a sudden I knew that the jig was up and my dad came home from work and I'm all upset. My dad's like, what did he do now? And my mom shows him the broken fishing rod. Now we had discipline in my house. It wasn't, there was nothing wrong with that. We need discipline today. Don't think you're doing your child a favor by not disciplining them. So as my father was ready to discipline me, um, who did I run to? Who do you think I went to? I went to my mother. Who would most of us go to in a case like that? Our mother. God knew after the fall, after we sinned, after we broke that fishing rod of his, that we were going to be skittish, scared creatures. And that we'd be afraid to approach him. I was afraid to approach my dad. Not in a bad way, just it's what it was. Instead, I ran to a mother. That's why God gives us the gift of a mother. He knew that we would be scared, skittish creatures. And she's one of our own. She can relate to us so much. She's fully human. She's not God. But what family, like the Trinity, father, son, is complete without a mother? Now, she's not a member of the Trinity, but she's in the queen of heaven, the heavenly court. And you see, so when my father went to discipline me, my mom met him halfway across the floor and stopped him in his tracks. And she interceded for me. Said, don't you lay a hand on him. He's already suffered enough as he was getting the belt to, you know, discipline me. That's the gift of a mother. It's who we run to. And God knew that. That's why he was going to give us the gift of a mother in the garden. Don't turn it down. Embrace it. Accept it. Now that leads me to what Marian consecration is about. Look at your screen now. There's a perfect example of consecration to Mary, 33 days to morning glory by Father Mike Gately, right? Now what is consecration? Basically, when you consecrate yourself, you basically trust, you entrust yourselves to them. Now, what does it mean to trust? Trust simply means you accept the help that someone offers you. If I trust you, I accept the help you give me. Now, I always use my brothers as examples because when it comes to directions, I trust Brother Mark. If we're driving somewhere and he says, I know where this is and we're going west. I'm like, I think we go east, but you know what? I trust you. All right, we're going west. But I always laugh. God bless my brother, Father Allen, because I've gotten lost with him so many times. If he tells me we're going east, I don't trust him. I don't accept the help he offers me. So when I trust someone, I accept the help they offer him. So if you trust God, you're going to accept the help he offers you. And what is that help he offers you? His mother. Well, Father, Father Chris, how do you know that that's the trust or the, the help he wants to give me? Maybe it's only the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's true, too. But we know Mary's a gift that he wanted to give you in help because of the cross. What did Jesus do on the cross? He gave us the gift of a mother. No, he didn't. He only gave it to John. And, 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 and but John represented all of us. Why? Because John didn't need a natural mother. He needed a spiritual mother. You see, people say, well, you Catholics think you gave John, Mary to John on the cross. Well, yeah, but that was only because John was the youngest apostle. He was still a young boy. He didn't know how to take care of himself. He needed a good mom, take care of him, cook and clean and really keep him, keep him straight. You know, John really needed a good natural mother. 
How do we know that isn't true? How can I prove to you right now that that's false? That Jesus gave Mary to John as a spiritual mother, not a natural mother. Well, but Father, he was the youngest apostle. He needed mother to take care of him. You know why Jesus didn't give Mary to John as a natural mother, but rather a spiritual mother? Because John's natural mother was right next to him on the cross. There's no way Jesus would have said, okay, John, I'm giving you a natural mother to take care of you. What an insult to John's real mother next to him on the cross. John's real mother was standing right next to him. Matthew 27, the mother of the sons of Zebedee was there at the cross. Who is the sons of Zebedee? James and John. John is right there his, with his mother. So when Jesus gave Mary to him as his mother, it didn't insult uh, his, his real mother, his natural mother. He was giving Mary as a spiritual mother. And he gives, him to, gives her to us too. And this is something. This is what Mary in consecration is. It's when, when something is consecrated, it's set apart to be holy. Right. And so mirroring consecration is basically dedicating ourselves to Jesus using the help he gave us. What is the help he gave us? Mary. This is the help. He did it on the cross here. It means entrustment to Mary. This works because nobody knows Jesus better than Mary does. Ask Mary, help form me into another Jesus. Mary formed Jesus in her womb. She can form us into another Jesus, too. This is powerful. So entrust yourself to her and give her all things. Put everything in your hands. You know, I, I used to get so frustrated because I used to have this long prayer list. I have to pray for this person and that person and that person and that person. Pretty soon it got to be so much. I had to make an Excel spreadsheet, <laughs> literally, to track everybody that I had to pray for. And it got to be so much, all of a sudden I could only pray once a week for them. Then all of a sudden once a month. And all of a sudden I realized, no. You know how you consecrate yourself to Mary? All the prayers that you do, when you wake up in the morning throughout the day, you say, Mary, I put them in your hands. I consecrate myself to you. You distribute the graces. You know who I love. You know who I'm obligated to pray for. You take care of it. I'm going to give you my prayers and you do the rest. You know what it's like? You know what a broker is? Stockbroker, you know, a broker is somebody you give your money, somebody you trust, and then they, that broker invests it and spreads it out, all right? Now, Mary is our broker. You give her all your merits, your pains, your joys, your sufferings, your prayers. You give them and you say, Mary, I place them in your hands. I consecrate myself to you. She distributes them. So that way you don't have to beat yourself up if you got to pray for cousin Joey or Aunt Emma because she'll take care of that. You just place them in her hands. When something is consecrated, this is what we do. And we consecrate ourselves to Mary and we do that. All right. Now, what about this? The church says consecration to Mary does not diminish or substitute for the love of God. You're not replacing God. It actually enhances it for all consecration is ultimately made to God. Now listen to this. Vatican II. Vatican II said, quote, Calling upon Mary's intercession does not hinder in any way the immediate union of the faithful with Christ, but on the contrary, fosters it. Lumen Gentium 60. All right, now look up at your screen. You see a picture of Maximilian Kolbe? The picture basically says, never be afraid of loving Mary too much. Jesus 
loved her more than we ever could. So if we're looking at how much Jesus loved Mary, why do we have the audacity to think that we could love Mary more than Jesus did? No, we can't. And I think it says here it is, never be afraid of loving the Blessed Virgin too much. You can never love her more than Jesus did. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? And so this is very important. We must understand the role that Mary had. Now, let's go to the next slide. Here is the next slide that talks about the Immaculate, that's our mother Mary, and when we consecrate ourselves entirely to her, that we will be able to defeat Satan. Look at that beautiful slide. This is the, basically the essence of Marian consecration, giving our yes and giving you permission, Mary, to form me into another Jesus, but basically giving yes to the gift Jesus gave us on the cross. She, as I said, formed Jesus, she can form us. And so when she gives us this opportunity to use her, why not? Jesus gave us her to use her. Jesus said that what hurt him the most, he told this to St. Faustina on his passion, wasn't our sins. What hurt him the most was our lack of trust. And what better way to trust Jesus than using the gift he gave you? Mary, his own mother. You know, St. Louis de Montfort said, Jesus came into the world through Mary, so we should go also through Mary. All right, now, the next slide. 1917, a very interesting year. Now, I do a whole talk on Fatima. You can find it online, and I don't have talk to do it, time to do it right now. But I want to just quickly summarize something about Fatima and Mary, and I'm getting close to the end here, so hang with me. In 1884, October 13th to be exact, who I think was the greatest pope in the history of the Catholic Church. Now, I know, yes, John Paul II, absolutely. But personally, I think Louis, excuse me, Louis the Ninth is my, one of my favorite saints, but Pope Leo the Thirteenth, who I personally think is the greatest pope in the history of the church, overheard a conversation between Christ and Satan. And in that conversation, Christ heard Satan say to him, I can bring down your church. And Jesus said, you think so? And Satan said, yes, but I need more power and more time. Now, Jesus granted him more power and more time. Why? Why would God do that? The Bible says we must be tried in the crucible. We must be tested. The angels were tested. They only got one shot because they saw the effect and the consequences of their decision. You and I are tested every day. But we are allowed to go to confession and start over. Unlike the angels, they got one shot because they saw the effect of their decisions. We don't. We have to trust in faith. That's why if you mess up, get to confession. That was my topic a couple weeks ago. Now, in that conversation, Satan said, I need more power and more time. Jesus said, how much power? He said, enough power to persuade the lukewarm sinner into coming over to my side 
Jesus gave him the power. Then he also said, I need more time. And Jesus said, how much time? And Satan said, about a hundred years. So in a hundred years, I can conquer your church. Hmm. When did that hundred years begin? Because Jesus granted, Pope Leo said Jesus granted it to him. Well, I ask you the first question. What happened 100 years later to the day, October 13th, 1984? Because this conversation happened October 13th, 1884. What happened 100 years later to the day 1984? The Detroit Tigers won the World Series. <laughs> yes, I'm from Detroit, so I have to throw that in there. But no, what happened 100 years later, not to the day, but 100 years later, was John Paul consecrated the world to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. But other people say that maybe that 100 years began at another time, 1917. 1917 was one of the worst war years in human history. World War II was raging. The Judeo-Masonic bankers took their first country in Russia. Um, we had absolutely no idea what was beginning with the founder of Planned Parenthood named Margaret Sanger, who in 1916, at the time the angels appeared in Fatima, opened up the first birth control clinic in Brooklyn, New York. And then in 1917, produced a movie called Birth Control, which was so scandalous, she actually went to jail for 30 days. So all this crap, if you will, excuse my language, was going on in 1917, but God's not going to be outdone. Brother Mark's going to put this slide back up in 1917. What do you see on your screen? An answer to what God always does, a greater good. He gives us the gift of Mary. She appeared at Fatima, the gift of Maximilian Kolbe, who also in October of 1917 began the Mission Immaculata, which you don't see on that screen, was Pope Pius XII, the Pope that got us through World War II, was consecrated a bishop guess when on May 13th 1917 which was also the feast of May, or, uh, the Eucharist all right Mary the mother of the Eucharist also in 1917 Pope uh, Benedict the 15th was praying in Novena to Our Lady of Mercy and on the eighth day Mary appeared in Fatima this is how God answered it now people say, well, Father, you said that, that the world was consecrated to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. No, it wasn't because Russia wasn't. I'm not here to get into that debate right now. All I will tell you is we Marian fathers do stand with the statement of the Vatican that Russia was consecrated. And that was the word of the Vatican. You can look up the church document in the year of June 2000 that stated that heaven accepted Lucy's uh, pronouncement of the consecration of Russia. Yes, there were a few problems, however. Jesus was very upset, according to Sister Lucy, that it was late. The consecration was late, and Russia was going to spread her errors all over the world, and it has. Now we are paying the consequences of atheism, socialism, communism, and it's coming back to haunt us. Because Russia was not consecrated in time. Secondly, the three attempts, the first attempt, was without the bishops. Because it was late. 
right? And uh, the letter that John Paul II sent out didn't arrive to the bishops on time. The first time he did it himself without the bishops. The second time his letter was late. Not all the bishops consecrated. And the third time in 1984, he said he consecrated the world because by that time, not just Russia needed consecrating, but the whole world needed to be consecrated. Now, I get it. I understand the argument. People say it and write to me all the time. Father, the problem is we haven't seen the conversion of Russia. And Mary said, when Russia is consecrated, she will be converted. We haven't seen the conversion of Russia, Father Chris, so Russia's not been consecrated. Excellent argument. But we are starting to see the, cons uh, the conversion of Russia. But if we haven't, there's a reason. Mary said before we could see the conversion of Russia, two things needed to happen. One was the consecration of Russia. And I can tell you right now, please, that's not your place nor my place to worry about. That's between God and the bishops, whether or not Russia was consecrated. You can't change that. I can't change that. That's between God and the bishops. It's not our place. What we do is we pray and we do as the church instructs us. In June 2000, the church official document said, yes, it's been consecrated. Well, then, Father, why hasn't Russia been converted? Because Mary said two things needed to happen in order for Russia to be consecrated. Excuse me. <laughs> in order for Russia to be converted. One was she needed to be consecrated. Now, whether or not you believe that's happened, I don't believe the second thing has happened. Because the second thing that Mary asked to happen, which we have not been doing, look on your screen, the five first Saturdays. This is what Mary asked you and I to do. Are we doing it? I see very little of it. Mary said, and this is the five first Saturdays. First, go to confession. Now that the churches are opening up, you can. If you can't, then you make an act of contrition. You receive Holy Communion. Again, churches are opening up. Get back to the sacraments. Then you pray the rosary and you meditate an additional 15 minutes on one or more of the mysteries. And this is what Mary asks us to do at Fatima, to do the five first Saturdays. Then we will see the triumph of the Immaculate Heart. So even if Russia has been consecrated, we haven't seen the conversion of Russia yet because we haven't done our part. Worry about our part. Don't worry about something that's not your part. We pray for it. We pray that Russia was consecrated, but we must worry about our part. Our part was doing the five first Saturdays. And that is what's important. This is what I ask you to do on five, the first Saturday of five consecutive months. Do those things. Confession, communion, pray the rosary, and meditate an additional 15 minutes. That's what Mary is asking us to do, and we are not doing it. What a shame if we spend all our time blaming the Pope for not consecrating Russia, when in fact it may have been consecrated, and yet we didn't do our part through the five first Saturdays, and we're the reason that Russia has not been fully converted. Let's look in the mirror and say, did we do our part? That's what we got to worry about. Now, does God only use saints at like Fatima? He used Saint Jacinto, Jacinta and Francisco. Does he only use saints? Well, look at your screen right now. God can even use presidents. There's Ronald Reagan. I know not everybody will agree with me, but I think a great American hero and president. And you know, he was shot. Him and John Paul were shot six weeks apart. 
from each other in 1981, in the spring of 1981. And both said God had speared them for the special purpose. Both should have died. The actual trajectory of the bullet changed course inside John Paul. And Ronald Reagan should have bled to death. Both believed they were spared by God for a purpose. And you know what they agreed that that purpose was once they met? To bring down communism. This is what they said. They believe this. Now, if this is their mission, we know, we know that the KGB was behind the assassination of John Paul II. That's been proven. That's been proven. And so John Paul and Ronald Reagan banded together to defend religious freedom, which we should be doing today. 22 million soldiers died in the two world wars, guaranteeing that future generations would have religious freedom. We've been given that gift of religious freedom. Do we want to be the generation that lets it die? No, we received it. We have the obligation of handing it on. And 22 million men gave the ultimate price and sacrificed personal safety to die so that we would have that freedom. I think it's pretty audacious of us to think that we shouldn't risk in some way something to also maintain that religious freedom and pass it on. All right, now, Ronald Reagan had an intense interest in Fatima. Nobody knows this, but he actually went there and he talked about Mary and he mentioned the three children. And he said, quote, in a simple person or simple people, like the three children of Fatima, there is more power than all the armies in the entire world. And he said this. Do you know when, John, uh, when Ronald Reagan died, he had one request at his funeral in 2005, and I think it was 2005, wasn't it? Uh, no, 2004? 2004. He had one request, that they sing Ave Maria at his funeral. He wasn't even Catholic, although he was raised right down the road from Fulton Sheen, Bishop Fulton Sheen. All right. I'm sorry I'm running long. I'm going to wrap up with two Marian devotions. If you think Mary can't help you, I challenge you to do one of these two Marian devotions. There are a million Marian devotions out there. You can write to me, tell me about your favorite one. That's great. But I'm telling you, I'm going to give you two right now that have never failed, but only use them for big, important things. Don't use them to find your, your, um, your iPod. You know, you want to use these prayers for something important, powerful. I don't even know if they have iPods anymore. I don't know. So the point is the first one, look at your screen. Mary, the undoer of knots. This is Pope Francis's favorite. Eve did the knots. Mary undid the knots. She is standing on the crescent moon, just like in the Our Lady of Fatima image. I'm sorry, uh, Guadalupe. Guadalupe image. Pope Francis brought this to us from Germany. I tell you, I've only used this devotion a handful of times, and it's done the impossible for me. You might want to try this, Mary, the undoer of knots. It's incredible. All right, one more. You see this on your screen? Looks like Mary in a big fluffy dress. Anybody know what this devotion is? This is called Our Lady of Good Success. This is an incredible devotion. And it will work for you if you trust. 
Let me tell you real quickly about it. This apparition was to a nun in Ecuador in 1600 who predicted a spiritual catastrophe in the Catholic Church and in all of society beginning shortly after the middle of the 20th century. When did it happen in, in the United States and the Western world? 1963, when all prayer was taken out of school, Kennedy was shot, our only Catholic president, and everything has been downhill ever since. America lost her innocence in 1963, shortly after the middle of the 20th century. And then in the late 60s came all this misconception of free love and drugs and sex and defiance of authority. Now, she's talked about widespread moral corruption, profanation of marriage. Remember Lucy said the final battle between God and Satan, she was a seer at Fatima, would be over marriage in the family. She said priest will scandalize the faithful and will cause suffering for good priests. She said there will be unbridled luxury that will ensnare many souls and there will be a loss of innocence among children and a loss of modesty, especially amongst young women. We see this all the time. It's very difficult in our society today. She said there will be a lack of priestly and religious vocations. And she said this per current period of catastrophe, however, will be followed by a period of restoration. We are seeing it right now. The church is being cleaned up. She's being scrubbed right now. She's being cleansed of all this junk, right? So her name was Mother Mariani, Mariana, and she died in 1635 and in 1906, her body was dug up to be moved and found incorrupt. That means she's somebody special. These two devotions, I wish I could talk more. You can find it more on my DVD. I talk more about this. And Brother Mark will show you at the end again how to get the DVD talks. All right, now. Here is one more slide, a couple more slides. John Paul II, praying the rosary. The story of the rosary is so powerful. I don't have time. I got so many stories of the rosary. But you know what? People say, oh, it's just a bunch of repetitive Hail Marys, repetitive Hail Marys. No, it's not. It's not in vain. In the traditions of the Bible, they repeat things to give emphasis, like holy, holy, holy. We repeat the Hail Marys because it gives emphasis to the importance of it. Um, it helps guide us. It helps give us that, that beacon of light to show us our way. And I told the story before my mom when she was praying the rosary, Hail Mary, full of grace, Hail Mary, full of grace. And it's like, how many times do we see that? No, it's to be a, about the mysteries because the mysteries are, 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 are what the rosary is about. It's not just about a bunch of Hail Marys. It's about the mysteries. It's a walk through scripture. And so, so, um, uh, John Paul made it very clear that we want to see the value of the rosary in that. All right, now let's keep going here because I want to say just a couple more things and we want to wrap up. Now, the rosary was something that honors Mary, doesn't worship Mary. And I want to read you a quote that Brother Mike, Mark, not till I'm done, is going to put it on your screen because it's going to reveal who said it. But I'm going to read you a quote, and then Brother Mark's going to put on the screen who said it. Here's the quote. One should honor Mary as she herself wished and as she expressed 
in the Magnificat. How then can we praise her? The true honor of Mary is through the honor of God. The praise of God's grace. Mary does not wish that we come to her, but through her to God. Who said that? Brother Mark, put the slide up. Martin Luther. Martin Luther. If you are ever questioned about Mary by a Protestant, you could say, well, the father of your Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, said this about Mary and read that quote. Wow. This is powerful stuff. So anyway, next slide. We just got one to go after this. The next slide is another good one that I want to read to you. If you invoke the Blessed Virgin when you are tempted, she will come at once to your help and Satan will leave you. This is the rule of Mary. And God bless all of you. You hung with me. Last slide. There is what I think is the most beautiful work of Michelangelo, the Pieta. And I finish with this slide. Because a lot of people say, that we are taking away from God when we honor Mary. And I want to use a story to finish that Scott Hahn gave that when he did our retreat that I thought was awesome. And I asked him if I could steal it. He said, sure. He said, just imagine that you went back in time to a Renaissance art fair and there was all the artists standing next to their masterpieces. He said, you walk in and there's Michelangelo standing next to his masterpiece. What is his masterpiece? You see it on the screen, the Pieta. And you went up and there is Michelangelo standing next to the Pieta and you just draw right to the Pieta and you fall on your knees and you say, this is incredible. This brings me closer to God. Scott Hahn said, do you really think Michelangelo is going to say, wait a minute, Get up. I'm offended. You've insulted me. You're not paying honor to me. You're honoring that. No. Scott Hahn said that'd be crazy. When you honor the art, you honor the artist. And God is the artist. He fashioned it. And what is his greatest masterpiece? Mary Honor the art, you honor the artist. This is why we have so much grace given to us through this gift. And you're not offending God, you're honoring God. You're praising God by giving his gift to you a part of your life. So brothers and sisters, let us today on a Saturday, which is always Our Lady's Day, Give thanks to God for this special gift of Mary. She unlocks all the graces at the cross. Now, why are not we receiving these graces all the time? Because we don't trust enough. If we trust, we need to be more like Mary and say, Lord, give me the help I need. And God bless you for hanging in with me. I hope that you enjoyed this talk. Remember, we're going to continue next Saturday. I'm going to do a talk on Holy Communion. I'm sorry I wanted to do Mary and the Eucharist, but there's no way. Mary just deserves her own slot, as does even more so the Eucharist.
So I'm going to talk about the Eucharist next week. Join me next week at 11 o'clock live. And then at my final show, after we finish all the shows on the DVD, I'll be doing a Q&A session. We'll figure out how to do a live webinar where you guys can write in and ask me questions. That'll be the last show in, in a few weeks. But in the meantime, Brother Mark's going to put up the slide. And on the slide, you can see my DVD called Explaining the Faith. This is where all my talks that I've been given here on Saturdays come from. Done much better than I'm kind of hacking right now. And you can get this talk. I have talks on suffering, um, hope, suicide, Mary, divine mercy, confession, the Eucharist. I did a walkthrough of the Mass. It's all on this tape. You can get this three DVD series on shopmercy.org. So please visit shopmercy.org, get this DVD today, and help us spread this message of God's mercy, and today especially, Mary. Or if you want to stream it, you can go to our webpage, where there's a link to stream it online, if you don't want to mess with the DVD, at thedivinemercy.org slash explaining the faith. And Brother Mark, if you can put it back up one more time, thedivinemercy.org slash explaining the faith. God bless all of you again through the intercession of Mother Mary. Let us bow down for the blessing. Heavenly Father, we ask that you send the Holy Spirit down upon all those viewing this show, all of those who are opening their hearts to receive the gift of your Mother Mary through her intercession and the intercession of St. Faustina and all the saints. May Almighty God bless you and through the passion, death, and resurrection of his Lord Jesus Christ, heal you of any ills of the mind, body, or soul. And I bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And God bless you. And one last thing, I apologize for those of you who are turning into Virgin Most Powerful Radio for my radio show on Thursday. That has been canceled. Um, we'll keep in touch as future shows will be coming your way. But in the meantime, stay with us on Saturdays at 11 because these talks will continue till we finish the series. And so I hope you'll join us next Saturday for the talk on Most Holy Communion. May Almighty God bless you and be with you. Amen. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign-up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.